Welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. Boys, we have some exciting new business developments in our lives, which we'll announce next week. Uh, but Pipe, I want you to talk about a, a business development that's been in our lives for a while, and that's Dwell Bible, which, judging by the tone of our pre-show production meeting, is probably something we could all use this morning. Uh, <laughs> Piper, tell us about Dwell. Yeah, I think I need to go find their like Hope for a Weary Soul playlist or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, there we go. Uh, listeners, Dwell is an audio Bible app, and uh, that doesn't quite do it justice because that makes it just sound like you just listen to the Bible straight through. It's kind of a full-featured, full-service audio Bible app with multiple different narrators. They have listening plans, so you can listen through the Bible over a particular period of time. They have um, kind of a pause and reflect, which is you listen, and then there's a period where you can just reflect on it. You can work on memorization. It's a great tool for kind of getting scripture into the parts of your life when reading is not a possibility. Or if you're just not a big reader and listening is a ba- the way that you uh, you learn better, it's a great tool for that too. If you go to dwellapp.io slash happy rant, you can check them out. They have special discounts just for our listeners. There's a 10% discount off of their annual subscription and a 33% discount off the lifetime subscription. That's a $50 savings. So it's pretty significant. So um, if you're looking for a, a creative, pleasant way to get scripture into your life, Dwell is a great way to do it. Again, it's dwellapp.io slash happyrant. Go check them out. Solid work, Pipe. Baby, you just mm. got back from Louisville, huh? That's pretty exciting. Mm. Doing Yeah, yeah, a little, uh, <laughs> is it little though? harbor staff yeah. meeting. Yeah, doing yeah. some wharf well, stuff, some harbor stuff. Yeah, yeah, doing a lot of stuff with the ocean. Oh, solid, so, dude. You know, it's what we do. Was it a fun trip for you? exciting you know, to go it was, to Louisville. Uh, it, it was it was fun it was also exhausting it was three solid days of, of planning and meeting and mm. you know having your head down and things and, mm. and presenting things in boardrooms and it was it was a lot of that stuff baby listen to so it. some of it not not super sweet spots for yeah for ronnie martin entirely mm. but but the social aspect of it was great listen to this baby uh yeah, when we go to me. when we go to michigan in a couple of weeks i'm staying on a boat we airbnb to boat Whoa! Yeah, dude. So I get to I get to live that wharf life. I've you Airbnb like a like a houseboat on the lake. Yeah, it's it's actually like a um I don't know like a good sized boat, and it's just like lashed into a harbor. And I don't know, we'll sleep there and like look at the oh, wow. Yeah, maybe that's nice. I've actually seen that too. Yeah, you, so you're not you're not actually taking it. Yeah, out. we're not actually like using it. As it. A, we're just kind of like yeah, it stays at the dock. Yeah, it stays basically. at the dock. So uh, yeah, oh, we've never sweet. done that before. So that's. Uh, It'll, it'll be fine. I have to say the the boat owner who came up with that idea is a genius because they just spent yeah. you know, they spent like one point three million dollars on this boat or whatever it was and it just mm-hmm. sits there for three hundred yeah. you know forty five days a year. Why not recoup some costs by just having a family 100%. sleep in the you know and get to you know li- live that live that uh, that the marina life that you're so that you're so keen on. Dude, I'm so yeah, keen and on it's it. cool because when you go on Airbnb now, like that, like that pops up now. Like, yeah. hey, here's another option: a boat, right? You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Yeah, I'm so into it. It's like okay, I'll let you guys know how it goes, man. I'll have to do some. Yeah, no, we need to get a full, uh, full re- recon. Oh, for sure. Report. I'll have to do some yeah. remote apps while I'm while I'm traveling, but we'll we'll mm. figure all that out, man. I don't want to I don't want to bore people the with the, the minutia of how we make this show. 
you know um well we don't want to lose the momentum i know dude i don't want to lose the huge energy that we've got this morning this this forward it's unbelievable isn't it (laughs) i mean it just makes you especially this morning yeah it makes you grateful to do radio you know Uh, it's exciting so uh it is boy speaking of radio um believe it or not there are other people in the in the christian space who do radio in the way that we do it in that they make podcasts and um to be fair that's about all they have in common with the way we do it yeah, I, I, I thought you were going to say that is correct. I thought you were going to say, to be fair, that's all people. And I was like, yeah, that works too. <laughs> you know, literally not unique or special anymore. Every but, group uh, of three white men makes a podcast. Yeah. Oh, dude, no kidding. Judas. <laughs> um, speaking Judas, of. Judas, we got to do a rethink on this. Yeah, thing, yeah, we do. Speaking of white men and podcasts, uh, some white men made a podcast about another white man, Drisky, Mark Driscoll. Um, Drisky fatigue setting in for you guys at all? Are we sick of him yet? I mean, just conceptually. I mean, uh, this one, I mean, to to be fair, yeah. man, TBF, yeah. this is more about Mars Hill than just primarily about Drisky. Yeah. So it's the rise and fall of Mars Hill. So it, mm. Drisky obviously is a, is a central character, but they're they're looking at all the different yeah. elements that kind of went into that. So you're whole, high on this thing, baby. You're high on this, this Drisky uh, Mars Hill podcast. I don't. I don't know that I'm high on it, guys. Really? I got to be honest with you, man. It leaves it leaves kind of a oh man. I don't I don't I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this. I, I've heard I've heard a little bit of of the two pods that have been released, and mm-hmm. it's it's done really well. So when I say it's not my thing, it does it's not a it's not a slap against it as a pod. It's yeah. more of like man, I it's it there it's not a feel good it's not a feel good program like what we're doing here. Boys. So it's a you know it, what I mean? Yeah, I want to I want to ask you guys about that. So it's kind of a weird genre deal in the. And keep in mind, I haven't listened to it, and I won't due to it not being about football. But um, <laughs> <laughs> this strikes me as sort of like Christians dipping their toe into like the true crime like podcast format, um, yeah. kind of a lurid narrative, titillating. You know, look at this car crash kind of thing. Um, is that sort of the vibe of it, Pipe? Um, a little bit. It's like that, except mixed with, you know, some of those podcasts that are like, you know, there's, there's a podcast called like business wars, for example, that's like, you Uh know, Marvel versus DC comics and Pepsi versus Coke. And so it sort of gives the backstories of these whole organizations and like the factors that led to their rise. So it's got a touch of that Mm -hmm. mixed with a touch of true crime. Like what, what went down that caused this kind of you yeah. know, streaking comet of a church to com- completely crash land. And right. it, it is well done in that they they start off right at the beginning basically talking about the conflict of it, meaning like we're not – they're not here to like crap all over Driscoll as much as to say how did a church that did so many – like so many people's lives were affected positively, you know, transformed in the gospel and so many people mm-hmm. were hurt. How does that happen? How do we go from – good to bad, you know, how is this blended together? So it's it's more exploratory hmm. in that way than it is like we're going to uncover and resolve. And I thus far in the first two episodes, uh Mike Cosper who's the host and I think the guy who kind of spearheaded the whole thing has done a really good job avoiding sort of a gossipy kind of thing. Like it's hearing from mm-hmm. first-hand people. These are people who were there giving their experiences. So it's I I I don't think it's quite as sort of uh gossip bashing tabloidy uh and it's a little bit more like uh 
think like an ESPN 30 for 30 about a, you know, a team that should have been great and went bad kind of thing. Yeah. It's a doc. It's like, think of it more documentary. I mean, in fact, you know, that was the big thing that Cosper dealt with was like, why are you, you know, what good is it to, you know, take this, take a guy like Mark and and continue to throw him under the bus. And he goes, no, that's not what we're trying to do at all. The whole, the, the, the larger point is like, how, like what, like, how do we contribute to a culture that created a Mark Driscoll? And that mm. is the question he's trying to answer in every episode. And by saying literally that we all have a piece of this, maybe not personally, you know, in terms of Drisky, but just like how, how, how did this culture of mega churches and leaders that um, whose ability and charisma overshadow their character? Like we see, we see this over and over and over again. And, and, and what place you know, what part do we all play in basically allowing these dudes to, to get to that place with no accountability? And then not only that, but kind of raw-rawing them on and saying, yeah, you go, you go. Um, and so his whole thing is like, what do, what do we do, you know, moving into the future to to maybe, uh, you know, negate this from continuing to, to happen, you know? And he and he's, so he's like, you know, he Cosper is like, you know, he's one of these dudes that, that sort of has grown up a little bit, you know, his formative years, probably, you know, the, the documentary culture, mm-hmm. you know, that, that a lot of millennials are really geeked out on. And so he, so it's really, it's like that too. And he, and he just really kind of knows his stuff when it comes to putting together something that's going to build and be compelling and also, you know, kind of make sense to uh, everybody that has even an inkling of what, of what went down. Mm. So, um, I, you might enjoy it, Big T. I, I mean, seriously, it's not. I, I mean, I. It's just I, I listened to a little bit of the second episode yesterday on our drive home from Louis, and uh, it was. I, I mean, it, it's really good. Um, and so, if you, I, I don't know. I wonder because of where you were back in the late two thousands with some of this stuff, yeah. if you wouldn't be able to, you would hear it with some different ears. Yeah, I feel like I interviewed Drisky for something, kind of during his ascendancy or when when he was you know, famous the first time or whatever. Um, I, in fact, I know I did cause I did it in a parking lot <laughs> at a school that I was teaching at. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't like a huge Drisky fanboy, and I want to hear you guys on this. I want to hear your, your interactions with him. I remember thinking it was interesting that like the Christian publishing industry was like hanging their hat on somebody like that. Like that was my, my recollection of it, like kind of being in the business myself for the first time, thinking like, huh, this is a, it's an interesting move. It's interesting space. He was kind of doing the like rah, rah, be a man thing, which you can't do anymore. Um, so that was interesting how, how that's aged badly over the course of like just 15 years. Um, that's, that's kind of my biggest observation of it, I guess. Um, but I, I think I thought it was cool back when it was first happening. You know, it seemed there was a lot of talk, and again, we can't talk about this stuff anymore because 15 years have elapsed. But but I remember back when he was like trending the first time, there was a lot. We were coming out of like the 90s, and we were coming out of this kind of like you know taupe and ficus tree like feminization of mega churches, and and then he had Drisky kind of like you know driving a Harley Davidson onto stage and you know, juggling chainsaws and everybody was kind of into it. <laughs> it was, uh, it was a, just a different look. Um, what about you guys? How did you interact with him like back then the first time? Yeah, I, I think I was sort of his generationally, at least I was his target mm-hmm. audience. Cause he Definitely. got, 
he got big when I was like college and just post college. So 20 to 25 years old. And so I, mean, I remember specific moments of like walking to work at, at Crossway Books. So this is mm-hmm. maybe around the time that we actually published him. Uh, you know, I was going to say, what labels out. put him out and made him big? Was it Crossway? So, well, Crossway was the one that published his books. I don't think they made him big, but um, mm-hmm. his he got big at the same time. So he was kind of this because yeah. it was like the, the the internet and podcasting was was kind mm-hmm. of coming to fruition. YouTube videos were coming to like virality was a thing. Yeah, um, that's right. And then he came out with Vintage Jesus, which, like you noted, it kind of fell out of bounds in Christian publishing. You know, made people mm-hmm. uncomfortable. It was a little bit, little bit crass, a little bit frat yeah. boyish. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember listening to specific sermons, walking to work, and like his description of Jesus at at the battle of you know the battle of Armageddon. You know, riding in on a horse with tattoos and the sword and the blood, and I was like. It had a profound effect on me because, like, Jesus mm-hmm. was boring to me. He was sure. just a little bit. He's a little bit like Swedish meets Fabio meets kind of <laughs> boring white yeah. robe wearing children's book putts. Right, and, <laughs> and so and so to, the, the Driscoll thing had a positive effect in that I was like, oh, there's more to Jesus than than these these lame old flannel graphs. Um, yeah, which is funny because that was never taught to me. I just sort yeah. of absorbed it through, you know, evangelical Christian culture. Um, sure. Then I I actually got to know him a little bit because through working across, I was in sales and would go to these different conferences. And he was not a big enough speaker to be like hiding in green rooms at that point. So these yeah. are thousand person conferences and that kind of thing. Yeah. And And because all of his key books were with Crossway, like I was kind of his... I was like the company rep. And so like I would go have meals with him or get drinks with him in the hotel bar afterwards. And um, yeah, there was one night after a conference in Pennsylvania where he and Keith Getty and myself and then a couple guys who were with Mark and a couple guys who were with <laughs> Keith stayed up to like we, – we basically closed down the hotel bar. Um, <clears throat> Dude, it's and, like the Christian version of Entourage, what you're yeah, describing just, right there. <laughs> yeah, just just kind of crazy in in retrospect and what i realize now is i saw things then that if i heard them now at almost 40 i would mm-hmm. go that's problematic like that's yeah. not this isn't something that we should be hanging our like the weight of evangelical stardom on this that's not a good idea mm-hmm. but at 25 i was like this guy is so cool like this is yeah. he he yeah. fell outside of all of the things that i didn't like about pastors you know, sure. boring, stuffy, whatever. I was like, no, he's he's fun. He's charismatic. He's brilliant. Mm-hmm. He's a good hang. Like, yeah, all of that, and uh, none of which ultimately matters that much. I've come to realize. But at the time, I, I yeah. thought it was fantastic. Interesting, dude. Can we do like one minute on green rooms, and then I've got a question for Big R. <laughs> um, boys, we're getting a green room in Texas. Did you notice that in the email? I did. Mm. Did you guys make specific requests for for? Well, dude, that, that was my question. I felt uncomfortable doing that. Did you? Uh, yes. Okay. But not like not like a, a writer kind of thing where it's like Eminem with all the greens taken out or whatever. It was. I just said yeah. I like these things, so kind of anything in that realm would be wonderful. Dude, Thank you. I did too, but then I did a paragraph like apologizing for making the request <laughs> you're so midwestern in, in true midwest fashion i'm like it's okay if you can't do any of that i mean i can just sit out in the parking lot i'm i'm good out there you know 
Um, baby, did you did you put in your green room request? Yeah, I unapologetically went with brown M and M's only <laughs> miniature uh, Twix bars, unwrapped, slightly stacked, chilled, you know. stacked in yes. like pyramid formation. Exactly, you know. Slightly chilled, right? Exactly. Um, and then, yes, uh, you know, cans of a particular kind of soda that you can only buy in a place that obviously Piper just said really bores him. Sweden mm. already cans opened, and uh, yeah. So I went for the gusto, man. I I, I kind of brought it back to my my rock and roll days. Baby, ever been to Sweden? I haven't. I have. Um, I've been to Nor. I've been to Norway. I don't know mm. if that counts. No, no, no. That's close. That that uh, that definitely counts. Um, we got to get to Iceland, dude. Remember well, that? I mean, I think that's the yeah. I yeah. think that's the uh, the goal. That for is us. the Iceland goal. is the goal. Yeah, fame yeah. and Iceland. I mean, fame and Iceland, not necessarily right. in that order. But speaking of can, fame, baby, can, can I give listen? So we've we, we've teased this live event a couple times, and I think mm-hmm. our, our listeners might actually be wondering if it's real. Uh, listeners, mm-hmm. it is real. We're waiting. Uh, <laughs> we're working out details because it's part of a, a church event, and so they're they're driving. But it's going to be at First Baptist Church of Hearst, Texas, on I think. August twenty eighth. That's the Saturday. First so, is yeah. like Dallas area, right? Yeah. So it's it's outside. Solid. Yeah, kind of near kind of near Irving, kind of near Arlington. So greater yeah. DFW area. So August twenty eighth, uh, in the in the evening. We will have more details on how to get tickets and all that. But again, they're they're plugging it in as part of a larger church event. So we uh we're not the the sole drivers on this one. But you know, save the date. But we need to do we need to be plugging it though. Yeah, we the do. date alone just to get everybody get everybody's travel plans in, in order for sure. So, yeah. Funny story. That's, that's the plan. They, they were gonna book us into the Cowboys Stadium, but there was a conflict yeah. due to the Cowboys playing that weekend. So uh we're gonna be at the Hearst First Baptist Church instead. I mean but, we uh, decided to let the let the Cowboys do their I've seen it, some dude. I've seen some churches in Texas that are about as big as Cowboys Stadium, so I don't <laughs> I don't true. know that it's much of a loss. And actually they're more comfortable. They have like theater style seating, so I think exactly I think they're more ahead. opulent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. So baby where were you at on the Drisky thing? Like, you, you're gonna have to help me with the timeline. Yeah. Were you in ministry yet when Drisky started the pop, or were you still doing music? Yeah, I was kind of in between. I was doing both, okay. so I was already in ministry. Was still doing music stuff. Were you, you in A Town? No, no, no. This would have been back in SoCal. Okay, still gotcha. when I when I kind of got when I got indoctrinated a little bit, but. Yeah. Um, you know, all I remember, you know, so for me, it was, um, I'm a little bit older than Pipe. So, uh, you know, for me, I wasn't, I, I, you know, I'm the same age as Drisky. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. We're right around the same age. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you what, man, I just, I just got a kick out of that guy. Yeah. So to me, it wasn't that I thought he was cool mm-hmm. because I kind of didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more of just, I, I just, I liked his humor. Yeah. I liked the way he preached in the sense that it was entertaining. Yeah. I mean, dude, I was listening to other guys for theology. So at that point for me, it would have been, it would have been R.C. Sproul. It would have been, you know, would have been, uh, you know, Pipes, Pipes Pop, uh-huh. JP. Yeah. So I would have been, I would have been going after those guys to take sure. my deep dives. And I'm not saying I didn't learn anything from Drisky. I yeah. did. But I, but when, but when we were. You know, because you drive a lot in SoCal to get places, and sure. you're on the road a lot. So to be able to like, first off, to be able to click on like click on his podcast or whatever it was called back then was yeah. kind of a it was a newer thing. Yeah, um, and it was kind of cool to be able to like drive an hour, and since the dude preached like an hour, yeah, it kind of helped like take up the time. Yeah, and that was kind of a new thing too. Like the dude preached for a long time, mm-hmm. and he managed to keep your interest going like the whole way through. Yeah, um, so you never finished a Drisky sermon feeling 
exhausted in the sense that it's like, oh man, he should have landed this plane like 25 minutes ago. It was sure. more like he just he he just he just kept going and going and he kind of built and he would build and he would build. Yeah. So there was a there was a little bit of a um there was a little stand-up comedian kind of vibe with uh-huh. him that I enjoyed. Oh, I thought that was funny. That was on purpose. Like he he modeled himself well, for sure, after of course. do y'all remember Carlos Mencia? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That he Driscoll specifically modeled himself after Mencia. Like he was the first guy to kind of bring in the the uh the screens on stage to kind of like the uh-huh. interaction with what's happening on the screen and that kind of stuff and the clips and like his his speaking patterns, the way that he would like you know, set up a joke and then do a punchline and then a follow-up joke and then he would keep going in it. Like he he it was a stand-up special. It was like a, a weekly I mean, stand-up special. I mean, it, it was, and you could, I mean, it was like blatant that he was, pa- that he was, pa- that, that, that was a pattern for him, right? What's so interesting about that, and again, if we want to draw like a parallel between like comedians, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, man, like comedians that I like when I try to go to their earlier days, mm-hmm. a lot of times you just kind of go, oh man, they just weren't as great. It mm-hmm. hasn't aged very well. And I think on just, on just that level alone, um, I'll just speak to it on that level. Yeah. Um, I've, I, Every once in a while when I hear a Driscoll clip of something he did back in like 05 or whenever that was, you know, you just kind of go, oh, man, I, I was laughing at it then. I, I probably wouldn't be laughing at it now, right? And I think that's what age and, you know, maturity does to you, you know, on some level. But um, I back at the in the day, you know, because, again, I'm listening to a dude, a dude like R.C. Sproul, who, by the way, was kind of funny. He was kind of like one mm-hmm. of my old uncles, you know, like kind of, yeah. you know, had had a little bit of that old school sense of humor. Whereas Driscoll was just he was raw and he just didn't care as much. He was real sharp. Mm-hmm. He was also smart. So he 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 kind of was able to combine all those elements and he just was super compelling. And mm-hmm. so I just thought he was fun. Yeah. And um, that was kind of the big thing for me. I didn't really go that much deeper with him other than, hey, did you hear that last Driscoll sermon? Yeah, did you hear when he said that thing? Yeah, that was really funny. And so it was it was more like that than, oh, man, I mean, did you hear the way he unpacked, you know, John John chapter 3? Right. I mean, there was nothing like that about it for me, <laughs> yeah. personally. But, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Can I ask you a bit of a foundational question, baby? And it, it harkens to something that you mentioned, like, earlier, early in that bit. Um who do you think is cool? You 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 mentioned I, like I had the same question. Yeah, you, all right, boys. I, I hear the passive aggressiveness coming. Now, in. Now, baby, you're reading into that. that. I'm talking about that. I want to talk about the not do talk it. about the passive aggressiveness, and then tell you tell us who you think is cool. It's not passive aggressive, Ronnie. I want to know what it takes for me to be considered cool by you. This is this is aspirational, not passive aggressive. I mean, I like, so let me just break it down simply. Like mm-hmm. you guys are my friends. I like you a lot. Mm-hmm. Therefore, to me, you're cool. Yeah. You know, um, you know, Driscoll wearing a flannel shirt, a post grungy flannel shirt and a <laughs> choker just wasn't cool to me. You know, I, I mean, it, it had a hint of posiness to it. It just wasn't cool to me. Uh-huh. And plus, I didn't know him. Yeah. You know, if yeah, I would have known him, true. maybe I would have thought he was, you know, I, mean, I would have overlooked that. Yeah. But since I didn't know him, that's all I had mm-hmm. facing me. But, you know, for like you guys, for example, you're cool because I like you yeah. and we're buds. There's some and, history there. And, and, yeah. and there's, there's depth there. Mm-hmm. There's depth. Yeah. yeah. That's encouraging. I like how you also duck Ted's question of who is cool. Well, that's just such a subjective statement. It is, but I mean, I, we. Did, I think Piper and I were both intrigued by the fact that you went you went out of your way to indicate that you didn't think that Trisky was cool, which begs the question: well, who who do you think is cool? <laughs> 
I was too old. I was too old. Yeah, you know, I like, get that. I, I get that. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're the, we're the same age, so I'm not I'm not impressed by his image. You yeah. know, I, I, we're the. I don't know. Maybe if well, I would have been. 20 years younger, it would have been a different thing. And that that's not like elitist. It's just, it's just age of, it's just stage and age of life. And that's the thing know, is like Driscoll, but. Driscoll was like a pastoral pop artist, you know, like he, yeah. he came out with these greatest hits kind of things. And it was like, oh, this is like summertime, big, big summertime release pop hit aimed at a specific subset. Like he was aiming at the 18 to 28 year old male who was kind of aimless. Like that was his 100%. thing. And I fell squarely into it. And so aspects of what he did really worked for me for a while. Like I, it, it mm-hmm. landed and guy, you know, and I think it landed even better for guys who had less of a foundation than I did where he was, he yeah. was introducing them to something totally different. Whereas guys who were no the question. same age and older were like, man, he screams a lot. Why is he so mad? Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's his deal? Why doesn't he tuck his polo well, shirt in? You know, there's, it just, well, pipe that's, yeah, what's so interesting – so I'm so glad you said that. So here's – like here's an interesting part about that, right? So the dudes that I hung out with – and again, I was already in ministry at that time. So the other other pastors that I was hanging out with at the time that were my age, man, it was like one out of – one out of five, like Doug Driscoll. Mm-hmm. It was like – when I would say, hey, did you hear that Driscoll – or like, man, did you hear that thing he said that was really funny? Did you hear that outrageous thing that he that he – like that he's talking about or that he's doing – most, and I mean this, I mean this honestly, like most of the dudes that I knew that I was doing ministry with, like didn't dig him yeah. that were my age. Yeah. So it was almost more of an acquired taste yeah. if, if you were kind of tracking with him age wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Pipe's on point when he just said, yeah, but I mean, you know, that dude had 15, you know, 10, 15 years on me. Yeah. And so I was, I was more impressionable at, yeah. at that time, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, no, I think. I think that is who he was going after because again, we were already at that age where it was like, well, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. Dude, I, I can, you, you know, here's a theory. I want to hear you guys on this as pastors, you know, just hearing you guys talk about it and remembering the Drisky experience. Maybe he was honestly just a better celebrity and a better conference speaker than he was a pastor. Like, it seems to me that he has, Succeeded mightily in filling arenas and selling books and kind of failed miserably at actually being a pastor. Mm. So I wonder if he's just not better equipped to be a famous guy. You know what I mean? And I mean, that's a category that, um, I don't know, didn't exist really like 30 years ago. So it's a, it's a fairly new category, but, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I wonder if he should stop trying to be a pastor and just lean wholeheartedly into being, you know, a celebrity. Well, and Thoughts. I say I say this with all seriousness, although it's going to sound like a tongue in cheek, snarky statement. I think he has yeah. given up on being a pastor. He yeah. <laughs> he has a target market. He sure. doesn't he doesn't have a congregation in the same way. Like even the stories that came yeah. out recently that we were kind of yucking it up about with the the security and whatever else, the private security. Like that's that is the behavior of a celebrity. You know, sure. every every person who any of us would probably our listeners as well would consider a great pastor exists mm-hmm. in an entirely different dimension in terms of totally. sermon preparation and how they're caring for their congregation and yeah. the consistency between home life and the public and all of this stuff. Like he mm-hmm. he punted pastoring forever ago. He yeah the 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 church I put church in quotes is his platform. It's his market. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know. And he's absolutely really good at being a compelling celebrity. Um, yeah. 
and and he he's that that's his that's his jam. He's good at that. He's he's not a great writer. He's yeah. He's not a pastor. His church is you know it, it has the trappings of a church, but it you know mm-hmm. because of all those things, it's not it's not a healthy context for a church. And uh, yeah, I, I and I and that, that kind of makes. I mean that that's that should be saddening, not like a not like a judgmental statement as much as just an observation of he doesn't do the things that a pastor does. That's not what a pastor, like mm. a pastor's job is not to be controversial and compelling. Those are not, those, yeah. nowhere in First Timothy do you see those things. Yeah, I think what's hard about this is that there's no model for checking a person like that because everybody's making so much money off of him, you know, in that even in his quote unquote church, there are a lot of payrolls that, depend on him. And then there are publishers, you know, suckling at the Drisky teat. And then there are all the promoters of events that make money off Drisky. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, everybody's vested. Everybody has a financial stake. So people are going to be really slow to say, Hey, by the way, you know, don't become a whack job. Um, I mean, you're describing though what it was. I mean, we wouldn't say it's like that today as much, right? I mean, this is that describes him more in his yeah he like at the at the height of his that you know kind of that when when he left Crossway, it it was it was for money functionally. I think Crossway was kind of okay letting him go because they kind of saw some of the controversial trends, Um, Mm -hmm. and he went to Tyndale, and that's when like Real Marriage came out, and that book was just a like talk about like just it's a firebrand for the sake of being a firebrand. Um, mm. you know, and he came out with a few other books after that, but what, what he's, what he's capitalized on now is the fact that Pete, if you have a large enough audience market segment, you don't need publishers. You don't, mm-hmm. you just, you can sell yourself. You can sell direct yeah. to the public. And so their own seminars, their own stuff, you know, kind of working with a publisher for distribution, but he's essentially his own sales channel now, um, which is better in some ways because it means fewer people are caught up in the vortex of like, we're not crazy about this, but we're making enough money that we can't back out. But it also means there's just, like you said, there's no checks and balances to whatever, you know, whatever comes out of that sphere. Now, like it just, it just happens. You know, what's fascinating about that specifically T remember Mm -hmm. when we had that meeting with Zondo and the woman, I can't remember who, I can't remember her name, (laughs) but um, basically some acquisitions woman from Zondo and we're, we're chatting and I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I specifically, we we talked about Driscoll a little bit. Uh-huh. And um, this was pre all the, you know, this was the pre the fall. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Pre-fall. Yeah, and um, she said, you know what's interesting? She said, up until real marriage, none of his books have been like big sellers. Like, so mm-hmm. in terms of, in terms of publishing, he's never really had like a, a big hit. Yeah. Um, they, they've all done okay, but not nearly as good as they should do given his celebrity they haven't been in line with his celebrity interesting and i thought that was i thought that was so fascinating because again he had released books that people were like oh i love you know vintage jesus or yeah, like yeah. this or that but like she said no actually when you look at the hard numbers they haven't really done that well and i thought that was really interesting yeah it is really interesting shot. i wonder why well, that is his first two books were with zondervan um what mm-hmm. was it like uh missional church and Re- Confessions of a Reformation Rev, I think was the name of yeah. it. Terrible name, by the way. Um, yeah. Not that we know anything about poorly titled books. Um, <laughs> Correct. But uh, Correct. neither of those sold at all. 
Like they were uh-huh. junk sales. And and you know, they got some residual sales as he got famous. Vintage Jesus was his first hit, but I mean it's it was a modest hit, like probably yeah. between fifty and a hundred thousand first year. So Okay. You know, like that's not yeah. that's not New York Times bestseller numbers, but that's Again, numbers we would die yeah, for. Like, well, sure. I, yeah, I would. I mean, yeah, I would. I would consider screaming at young men for a year to get sales like that. Um, Dude, I'm a parent of young men. I scream at young men all year, <laughs> and a football coach. What? Like it really yeah, is your exactly. job. Exactly. That's literally all I do. Where's you where's are my Mark money? Driscoll, Big T. I, I really am, dude. If you could see the choker that I'm wearing now, you would. Oh, you would, would indicate how uncool it. it is. Yeah, I would love to see how beautiful. It, oh, I would indicate it, but I, I'd love I, to I see can it hear too, the chain sure. on your wallet clinking from here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby, but, like I, Sue and Swingers, he always had the chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's Absolutely. that was kind of Driscoll's nice sales level, sales level with all of his books with Crossway. Like none of them exploded. I think Death by Love, his second one, did better because um, mm. his. It was a better book for one thing. It was a little bit more um, kind of theologically thoughtful and a little bit less aggressive. But even then, like again, we're still talking that fifty to a hundred thousand first year kind of thing. So yeah, it did. He didn't go crazy until the controversy about real marriage, and I think that was a Tyndale book. I can't remember. Might have been Thomas Nelson. But uh, I thought that doctrine book always did. It seemed like a lot of people used that doctrine book, though. I thought that well, one was kind of yeah. But I mean, it's a, a lot in a niche context. Like it's yeah. You know, if if forty percent of a tiny niche use a book, you're you're at you know thirty thousand in sales or whatever. Yeah. I again, I would love to sell 30,000 of something, but um but yeah, he he was not a publishing phenomenon the way that hmm. you know, he might be perceived from the outside cuz his his name was bigger than his sales for sure. Interesting. I think after our book releases, we're going to wish that we could sell only 50,000 because of the places it's going to bring us that's going to complicate our lives. Boys. Oh, Am I right? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I hear celebrity is very high pressure. So, yeah, that sounds challenging. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Dude, how long till Cosby makes a documentary about uh, a documentary pod about our pod? Uh, we just we need to have a we need to have a major we need to have a sit down with him crash and burn. Yeah. We need, <laughs> so one of us needs to blow up and then blow it up. Can we get Cosby then, on the um, phone? Can we patch him in right now? Um, I mean, if if we did that, if we were that kind of pod, sure. Maybe I'm vehemently two, against that. I have two questions for you. Um, <laughs> one, do you remember? Mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah, I remember nothing about that pitch meeting with Zondo except the ride home. So we had like an hour between the restaurant and my house. We had an unfortunate amount of time to debrief that meeting during we? which we we spent that whole hour trying to like convince ourselves that it went really well. While knowing yeah. in our heart of hearts that we were never going to see dollar one out of Zonder. I mean, I think I think we thought we were the personality plus dudes. All I think day we long. thought like, man, yeah. she there was no we didn't say anything we regretted. That's right. right? Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it was like, oh, she was not even <laughs> remotely interested in one word. Dude, she forgot said. our names literally the minute she left that restaurant. <laughs> and, and in fact, she's on her podcast this morning, like not remembering who we were. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, hundred percent. My second question is, <laughs> thinking, <laughs> thinking back to like early two thousands, did you ever wear a choker? Did you ever like just experiment with it for a short time? And uh, just tell us about your your choker life, dude. No, no? of course not. <laughs> no. Oh my god, that's gosh, as passionate man. as I've I ever mean, heard you be on anything. Ronnie, that's I love this. It's not a. F- it's, it's so lame, you guys. It's so lame. Choker is like what the after-school special <laughs> actors wore to look like the bad guys. That's how lame it is. 
That's how dumb it was. Yeah. You know? Anyway. There sorry. it is. Hot take. Ronnie Martin, anti-choker. What were you going to say, Pipes? I was just going to say, like, it, on the one hand, that's an entirely expected response because who would Ronnie Martin be if not bucking the trends of, you know, Abercrombie fashion? But uh, on the other hand, everybody's seen images and videos of you with some eclectic style. So blending in some, like, I don't know. There's everything's on the table. It seemed like. Sure. Oh, pipe. What I, my fashion. I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying that my fashion sense in its own right was any better. It, just, it was it's ridiculous. Just and yeah. we got lots of videos and stuff to prove it. Um, but it wasn't that. It wasn't that. <laughs> that's true. You, you know, that's fair. You were Maybe, never you like Blink dabble? 182 or something. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Driscoll would have been more cool if he would have been like Blink 182. What were you <laughs> going to say, T? I think he, I think he, he tried to be like Blink 182 to some degree. It was. I mean, he's yeah. Yeah, it was. Right. It was a mixture of that and uh, I don't know. So yeah, Pearl Jam, flannel. I, I have one more Driscoll question for you guys. Yeah. Um. So obviously, this this podcast that Cosper's doing is the retrospective kind of after total fallout. Like we kind of know mm-hmm. what the what the extent of the damage is now um when i know neither of you guys were were really in on him you know in terms Mm -hmm. of like man i love driscoll i was closer to that for for several Mm -hmm. years when were you out on driscoll were you when were you like oh yeah uh -uh, i'm not okay with this interesting that's funny that's an interesting question i think i stopped i think i had a couple of years of intermittently like listening to some of his pods and more specifically i i kind of switched um to listening to like his conference talks so i stopped listening to like his pods because i'm not really much of a pod guy and then i listened to more of his conference talks and then i think i faded out of that pretty quick so i mean it it was a couple years before the fall i was a little i was kind of already out on him not out in like a negative way i just i i was just i'd moved on to other stuff yeah that's kind of how it was for me but yeah, I think when I when the whole podcast thing hit, I got in kind of like you, Big R. I got into listening to like Pipe's Dad and Timmy K, and mm-hmm. I had a few like regulars that I would go to, and I think I just liked their style more than Drisky's yeah. in terms of mm-hmm. like being a good listen and you know being something that I wanted to listen to. So um, yeah, and I think I think again like you, Big R. I was I was just a little old for the Drisky thing. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't exactly the target demo. And um, that kind of made it a non-starter, but uh, but I could see I could see why people resonated with it. Like Pipe's oh, explanation of yeah, why no he resonated with it, it it makes a thousand percent sense to me. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I just wasn't exactly having that experience, but uh, dude, yeah, but for yeah. sure. And I think you know, no, that's good. And I think you know, there there was. Uh, I don't know. This might be going too far, but like there is something to if like if all I can remember about Drisky's like sermons and his talks is that they were entertaining. There, mm. There's something about the lack of of you know enduring, yeah, you know, kind of content yeah. that was there. Again, not that he never said anything deep or yeah. you know really theologically you know uh, significant. I, I think he did, you know, for sure. But I think. It kind of it, it's kind of another discussion about like if we dress things up in such a way, the only thing that becomes significant is the dressing. People remember yeah. the style more than the substance. Ab- yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. And I think that's a little more of what we got with him, unfortunately, because he actually did say some profound things that caused you to think and go deeper. But that's not what you remember, dude. So here's a question to land on: 
Who's today's version of that? The the person for whom we will maybe remember their question. style more than their substance. That is a great question. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you know who you know who could have been in danger of that and he made a pivot? Who? I think it's is Maddie Chan. Oh, 100%. Oh. Yeah, and I think he made I think he made a significant pivot when you listen to Chan and I, again, I haven't listened to, I haven't heard him in years, mm-hmm. frankly, but I mean, but I've, I've caught some stuff here and there over the last few years. And dude, he is, he's not the guy he was 10 years ago. I mean, he's older, so he's a yeah. lot more mellow. I, I think and, it was um, cancer. You know. I think it was his cancer that really turned because yeah. he, he went from like that sort of aggressive fireball angry to like, I think he really took on a lot more of the, like the actual pastoral kind of mm-hmm. embodiment tone mm-hmm. shepherd aspects of things. And he's, I mean, he's still a super engaging preacher, but not nearly the like scream at you. What did he call it? Like, in one sermon, you know, he was, he got on people for sending anonymous criticism and he was basically like you cowardly, insignificant zero kind of thing, which is a thing he wow. would never say anymore. Right. Like there's just, there's right. been a, there's yeah, been a maturing be and a humbling. Would be crazy to say that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But like currently, I, so you. But your your question though uh, to you is like current. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. I think. I mean, pipe. I don't know. What do you think? Because like I, I think that overly aggressive, loud, sarcastic, snarky. I, I, I'm just. I want to be kind of funny, but I really. I'm just kind of jabbing at everybody the whole time. Dude, we're kind of past I don't that the, culturally. Yeah, yeah, in our circles, especially everybody's. Nobody yeah. wants to do that. Yeah, it's, you know? it's so. It was. It was compelling fashion, and entertaining. You know? Now it's kind of exhausting and irritating. You hear that and you're like, I don't like exactly. This um, well, if anything, we're kind of we've moved on to like demure to a fault. I think yeah. is more the the tenor of the day. Well, I I think we're kind of between I, prominent preachers go like they're they're there's they're kind of generational. At least like let, let's say in in our theological you know mm. cut of orthodoxy, um, where there there's kind of men by generation. You know, like. You get you get John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul are kind of a generated. My dad came a little bit behind them, as did Tim Keller. Um, mm-hmm. You get Matt, Matt Chandler and Mark Driscoll, who were of a generation, although they they obviously diverged. That you know they they parted ways. Um, we don't we don't have any any right now. It's yeah, the old true. guard is still there. There's not a like next firebrand, and I think we're very suspicious of celebrity at this point. Part of mm-hmm. part of what this this documentary podcast touches on is like the how the mega church has become a thing, and, and the, the celebrity driven church, I should say, not just right, not right, just right, big, right. Um, has become a thing that people are leery of, and mm. for good reason, I think. Um, and yeah. so I don't know that there is somebody like that now because if somebody did that, it wouldn't work in the same way that it used to, because it's we're just yeah. we're kind of in the we're in the cynical, the skeptical, you know, we've talked, we've talked at length on the podcast about, you know, people who have walked away from the faith and deconstructed. A lot of that has to do with church failures and character failings amongst leaders and all that. So I, I think if somebody tried to do that now and like tried to ride their charisma, like they would, they would just be kind of sneered at. Like we have, we have, we have a, a new Gen X in the church in terms of the sort of like, I don't trust the authority figure type of mentality. Um, so I don't, I don't, I, well, that still works in certain parts of the church though. Like, you know, Stephen Furtick is still doing that and he has a massive church and sells books and whatever, like that still works, just not in our cut of the church. But I think I'm trying to think too, though, pipe of like, 
a super like charismatic leader that's not angry and not shouting, but he really is known more for like he incorporate like his personality reigns high in sort of his delivery style. And so when you think about him, you think, man, he he his like his theology is really deep. It's great. But when I think about him, at least in equal part, I'm thinking about his delivery style as well. And I'm not I can't really in our circles, at least just talk about our circles like nobody comes to mind because I think there is that fear of like the personality or the charisma, like overwhelming um, the message. And and look, I mean, you know, I'm at a I'm at a point zero percent for any of this. But like I like even for me, when I when I tend to speak, I just I, I lead with. I find humor in things and I sort of lead out that way a little bit. And I have to put a kibosh on a lot of that intentionally Mm -hmm. because I don't just want to be up there like just, you know, doing, you know, jabbing at everything. And again, I'm not like an angry preacher, but it can tend to like just kind of get off on rabbit trails in terms of like, this is the ridiculousness of the thing we're talking about. And I can get into that mode where you're kind of building and, you know, we, we all do it on the pod. And so I don't want my sermons and my talks to be like a version of what, of some of the things we do on the pod, even though like personality wise, I, I have the tendency to lean into that. Um, so I, I'm trying to think of somebody who just lets that go and lets that fly. I can't think of, I can't really think of anybody, to be honest, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Boys, do we, uh, are we doing a Patreon today? If we can fit it in. Yeah, we should probably close this one out. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah, not bad. Boy, yeah, not bad. Not bad. <laughs> Let's rate it. Man. Exactly. I'll, rate it. Well, I'll give it a seven. I'll give it a seven. A hard, yeah, hard I'm gonna seven I'm gonna rate it on a summertime curve. Our episodes in in June and July always suck, so I'm gonna give this like a solid eight and a half out of ten on the summertime scale. Whoa, easy, pal. So, Piper, easy. you've noticed that we don't do our best work in the summer. That's fascinating. Well, there's no conferences. There's no nobody's publishing interesting books. We ran off all the celebrity pastors. Nobody has deconstructed uh-huh. recently. Like sports are Summer boring. Every, yeah, everything's just boring, <laughs> and we're tired, and we want to be on vacation. So, yeah, dude, nobody we don't deconstructs do in the summer. That's interesting. <laughs> deconstruction is saves a, their deconstruction for the winter. Exactly, it's, yeah. it's a November game. I, I you bet know? there's I bet there's a seasonal disaffective <laughs> disorder tied directly to deconstruction. It's it's all like February oh, no March. Doubt. It's February and I'm taking a philosophy class. I'm deconstructing. You know, look out world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hate out everything. Twitter. I may as well hate religion too, yeah. right? Right, right. Exactly. Oh, man. Boys, we've done what we always do on this program. Doggone it. In that we have pimped mm. Dwell. Um, we're looking ahead to a new sponsor. And we've talked about Drisky for a long, long time. Don't forget about our comp. And yeah, and save the, the date. Conf. August 28th. Dallas, Fort August Worth 28th. Area. Dallas Fort Worth area Cowboys Stadium or Hearst Baptist Church. <laughs> and whoever 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 gets the whoever, whoever bid, returns right? our phone call first. <laughs> and until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to resonaterecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast.
Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform.